What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the lesser of the podcast platforms like Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made $5, and I've been doing this for three months. So, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This one is going to have an explicit language warning. It's written by a person who is a horrible writer that swears a lot and says disgusting, horrible things about other races and genders. So, it causes us to swear a lot. So this one's just explicit. There's no getting around it. But you can still enjoy anyways. Scott, play the game. You play the game. Isn't this your job? Uh, Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. You play the game, Ben. I'll see what I can do. Uh, speaking of playing the game, are we uh, doing a cross-promotion here? You had a, a special guest appearance on a different program, didn't you? I did. Let's I hear about a... that. Mostly just so I can remember to listen to it later. It's. Um... But I think it'd be nice if you uh, scratch each other's back on that. Yeah, you know, I have, or we don't have very many listeners, so I didn't yeah. think, like, why would I... I mean, I can promote him, but, like, no one's going to... He's not going to see a bump in traffic. Well, <laughs> so. but why not? How many listeners did he have? Did you establish that? Um, I don't know how many listeners he's got, but... Here we uh, go. What's it called? It's called The Cultured Bumpkin by okay. J.C. Jacobson. Um, yeah, and he interviewed me and had me read something, and I wound up reading this... It's always got to be a public domain, some weird short story about cats and dogs trying to get along with each other on a farm. And uh, he was a really nice guy and, you know, just asked me questions and I made an ass out of myself. And then uh, he played the thing I pre-recorded of me reading. And Um, since then, he asked me to continue, like he sent me another short story and said, can you read this for a future episode? So I did. So suddenly I'm like. What's the name of the gentleman that does this? J.C. Jacobson. Okay. I'm not finding it in Spotify. Can I find this program in Spotify? Is, it's Probably. called... The Cultured Bumpkin. The Cultured Bumpkin. That's what I put in there. But... Hmm. Yeah, and it's pretty good. He just does a lot of um, kind of snippets in a way. Like, he'll have a guest on and interview him, and then they'll read, like, one of them would be an author, and they'd read, like, a sample of their work. Another one would just be, like, um, I guess he's an actor, too, so he had to do like Shakespeare so he did like a portion of Shakespeare and you know who else is an actor uh oh Sean Penn (laughs) (laughs) well Ben we have had quite the exciting couple of weeks uh I'm not even going to ask you how your week's been thank you because I'm even less inclined than usual to talk (laughs) about it it's been rough but thank you (laughs) I know uh my week um I kind of don't want to go over either. It hasn't been the greatest uh, with work and whatnot. Uh, so we'll just be two depressed guys talking about a book we both have already talked about we can't stand. It's terrible. Nothing about this episode has any 
good redeeming qualities whatsoever. Not about our personal lives, not about the story itself. Yeah, adjust that mic if you need to. Do it now I, while we're recording. I should have done this earlier. <laughs> you are really hunched over. Do you need it up any higher, Ben? I don't know. Maybe I, you should do again, it now. Again, I didn't really consider this <laughs> at the appropriate time. Awkward you look right now. There. Good? I think so. You tell me. <laughs> do I look awkward and hunched over? I love how you won't move your head. <laughs> Good? <laughs> All right, you're done. Um, Bob, honey, we're just going to dive into it. I got nothing to talk about. I have loud cats. I have bugs in my house. Uh, nobody will work on my yard stuff. That's it. I've talked about it a million times on my other podcast thing, and none of that's exciting or worth listening to either. So, Okay. Well, Bob, th- honey, thanks for sparing me. I appreciate yeah, that. Who just do stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Like Sean Penn. Even listen to you say that. (laughs) Oh my God, this book is infuriating. It is. And um, yeah, we, I don't really think we're going to go chapter by chapter or anything. I think we're just going to start openly complaining anywhere we want and jump around as much as we want. Well, let's do this. Um, Why don't you give this? I have have a list of possibilities here, but if you were going to give a one word review of this book, (laughs) go. Uh, Does that have to be one word? Yeah. Because the phrase, thinks too much of itself, comes to mind. You could just shorten that to pretentious, maybe? Pretentious or hubris. Yeah. Yeah, all right, fine. Pretentious. What I, about you? Pretentious was one of them on my list. Um, I also have alliteration. <laughs> uh, obnoxious. Um, I, oh, oh the my note about pretentious is not even that it was just pretentious. Like he was making an effort to be as pretentious as possible. Like that's like. Well, that plays into an observation <sighs> of mine that we'll get to a little bit later. But yeah, um, no, I agree with you. I think I think in the end, my thoughts rest with this is how he thinks people write books. Like when you were in junior high and you decide you're going to sit down and try to write a book. It's going to be full of as much crappy symbolism as humanly possible. You're going to be reaching for that thesaurus all the time. It's just basically that, except that he's, what, in his 60s now or something? Yeah, he's got to be 60-ish, I would think, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it's, it's awful. And I sometimes when I'm reading books, you know, people rave about books, and I'll, I'll read it, and I'm like, oh, that was fine. But mm-hmm. I don't feel a strong like personal connection with a lot of stuff I read. Mm-hmm. Um, this one I did because it, I felt like Sean Penn somehow wrote this with the express purpose of annoying me as much as possible. Like every <laughs> element of this book felt like it was designed to make me angry. And it, it, it succeeded, that, yeah. Like the, the the concept of the author has reached out through the pages to touch you individually, yeah. uh, but only in the worst possible way. Yeah, place. usually you, you hear that as a good thing about a book. Like, oh, I was... He's like a schoolyard bully, basically. Really relatable. Or book, no, yeah. it was just like personally annoying. Mm-hmm. Like I felt personally attacked by Sean Penn, <laughs> um, which I guess, you know, Madonna could relate to that. She, she loved the heck out of that guy. But he attacked her. He attacked her? Yeah, like physically, right? I well, didn't know there some this. physical altercations? I, uh, I know that he punched a, a photographer. A photographer. He I like going to jail or something? I thought there were also some stuff with... He's a mm. terrible person. I think... We probably shouldn't be accusing him of stuff we're not thoroughly sure of on this show. Well, let me uh, Wikipedia it then. All right. Uh, so, Madonna filed for divorce in December 1987. Mm. Uh, Madonna reportedly filed an assault complaint mm. uh, that she was beaten in her Malibu home by her estranged husband. 
Oh. Uh, but then she later dropped the charges, apparently. Hmm. Um, so anyway, Madonna and I both feel personally attacked by Sean Penn. <laughs> uh, are you able to kind of just give an overall kind of synopsis of like, here's kind of what the book's about? Well, I can't. The titular character, Bob Honey, mm-hmm. just great. And that's another <laughs> thing that just personally offended me. Just the names of all the characters in this book. Because there's Bob Honey, there's mm-hmm. the neighbor had some fun Oh, name. it was Mayo, Helen Mayo. Yeah, Helen. of course it was Helen Mayo. And Helen Mayo's daughter, Helen Mayo Jr. I, mm-hmm. I made notes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. I, I didn't think that would escape your notice. Yeah. Uh, anyway, the novel, it opens... On September 15th, 2001, I believe, four days after 9-11, mm-hmm. because of course, because it's a novel for our times. <laughs> this is Sean Penn writing yeah. about. Yep. Um, and Bob Honey doesn't get along well with his neighbors, apparently, and is a strange, quiet man and keeps to himself. Um, as it, the book progresses, we learn that he's spent time in Iraq as a, a, a contractor. Mm-hmm. What, sewer, septic tank stuff? Yeah, amongst yeah. other things. I can't remember what they were, but there's a few other things you did, Not too. Not things, but... stuff. <laughs> stuff that he uh, wound up getting involved in. Yeah, so he's had a, a colorful life, and uh, uh, that's led him to becoming some hired assassin um, that the government, right, has, in a clandestine way, hiring mm-hmm. him to go to retirement homes to murder old people with a mallet because it's good for the environment, I think. Something like like the environment and also just that basically they're a drain on society. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not really explaining how or why. It's just another whimsical little add-on by Sean Penn. Yeah. It says a lot about these times that we live in, (laughs) doesn't it? And then, I mean, am I just going straight to the end to tie it all together? It's just whatever, yeah. So it ends with him... Being incapacitated in some sort of struggle with who? Where are these people from? I don't remember. Star, they're pygmies. Yeah, because of why wouldn't they be? Again, another way to go a little add on because the pygmies were used as uh, security when he was in Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he's he ends up in the hospital or nursing mm-hmm. home or whatever after this. He gets incapacitated in this attack and I. This reporter character that's been present throughout the book is coming to kill him, apparently, is, is what we're led to believe. Oh. And I, I think. But the, okay. that's secondary to him. Bob Honey writes a letter <laughs> to, Donald, to Trump Donald Trump because, again, this is a novel for our times. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so basically that's what it's 150 pages of just giving Sean Penn to write. An, an excuse to write a three-page manifesto about Donald Trump. Basically, that's what mm-hmm. it comes down to. And this is uh, this is a book that if you if I had the money, I would say, and I was like wealthy enough and uh, influential enough, I'd say like, wow, wouldn't it be funny if you got Sean Penn to write a book? Like, I'm gonna go get the deal ready. I'm gonna get everything ready, and then go talk to him about it. And of course, he's so full of himself. He'd be like, "Yeah, I'll write a book, and it's a, it's finally gonna be the voice of our generation." And he's gonna dive right into it, and I'd just be giggling the whole time. I think someone did that to him here. That could be because he he started out with this before writing or finishing the book. He made it into an audio book that he read himself, 
Yeah, and I think at that time, <laughs> when he was reading the audiobook, it was unclear who authored the book. There was some... Happy some, Pariah. Some mystery around that. Yeah, it's the, the, the author was supposed to be a name that he made up. Again, yeah. Happy Pariah uh-huh. is the author of the book yeah. that he was reading. Um, so bad. Solomon Rushdie has pointed this book out. It says, It seems wrong to say that so dystopian a novel is great fun to read, but it's true. I suspect that Thomas Pynchon and Hunter S. Thompson would love this book. Okay, so... That's also a guy I've never really liked, but go ahead. Speaking of Salman Rushdie, or... Mm -hmm. So, that was another... When I was reading this, I kind of thought, like, is he trying to be like Hunter S. Thompson or something? Does he think... Like, is that what's... Because, obviously, he's a big fan of Hunter S. Thompson, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way Sean Penn is not. Well, Hunter S. Thompson's easy if you want to feel like rock and roll literature... (laughs) <laughs> I, I have to admit, I've never read any of Hunter S. Thompson's work, so all of my uh, perception of it was based on that Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas movie. Oh, um, the books are very braggy. And um, he is, Hunter S. Thompson is a very good writer as far as his prose is and everything, but um, the 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 subject matter is just kind of bragging about all the drugs they took and, like, look at this crazy wild thing that happened that I hallucinated while I was on drugs and driving a car to Las Vegas and that sort of thing. So he is a good writer, but also just very annoying. Okay. So it doesn't surprise me. It's like all people like Sean Penn would be like, I want to be the next Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> so, but Solomon Rushdie, who I've never been a huge fan of, because uh, that's a person who really, really liked himself a lot. you're an Islamophobe? Yeah, that's exactly okay. it. No, I read his book and I was like, this isn't like... This isn't the award-winning thing I was expecting it to be, where his life is supposed to be in danger over it. Like, it's just kind of, I don't know, sort of fantasy-ish commentary. Yeah. The Satanic Verses? Is that yeah, what it was Satanic called? Verses. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's the only thing I've read of his. But um, And also, this quote is also an editorial review. Before I started reading, I glanced over the table of contents. The first chapter is called Seeking Homeostasis in Inherent Hypocrisy. I rolled my eyes and said aloud to no one, Fuck you. And that's with a bunch of U's in the word fuck. Then I read it, and it turns out it's a goddamn novel for the ages. A straight-up masterwork. More relevant to this very moment than anything I've seen. Tom Robbins, Mark Twain, E.E. E. Cummings, and Billy Bragg all just came in Who the Chuck fuck Bukowski's pants. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who, a, hold on. Whether is this Sean Penn reviewing his own book? You would think. Whether it's your cup of tea, C-U-P-P-A, is that a word? Uh, that's, uh, yeah, British English. Oh, oh, so that's even pretentious right there. Uh, well, I is, don't know. Is this a Brit giving the review? Well, you're going to have your mind cock blown when you hear this. Uh, is something I cannot know. But sweet Jesus, it was mine, Sarah Silverman. Isn't that nice? She's the I, one I've literally seen her in an interview say that when, um, uh, I hate when I do this. Uh, Louis C.K., there we go, when he was busted for forcing women to watch him touch himself, uh, she, apparently he did it to her years ago, and in the interview she says, and I just told him, go ahead, man, let's see what you got, and let him do it. So she's like a free spirit. (laughs) Isn't she? (laughs) Not pretentious at all. So she is the kind of person, and also Solomon Rushdie, who love... Sean Penn's latest work, Bob Honey, who just do stuff. <laughs> so speaking of the chapter titles, because mm-hmm. that's a note that I made is, God, I just said, fuck you. <laughs> but I what? stuck with it. I didn't, didn't, I didn't unroll like, my eyes. This is a goddamn masterpiece. And, and also, they're not called chapters. They're called stations. Did you get I, that? I don't get the, what that's about. Well, I, I don't know. Is it, it up. 
neither did I, but just throw it out there. Is Bob Honey supposed to be Jesus? Is this the Stations of the Cross? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. That was the first thing that came to my mind, because Mm. why wouldn't it be? Of course. It's pretentious enough that, yeah. So, I don't know. So, with the pros, um, I have some examples. Well, first of all, I made notes saying that uh, the cover looks like it's his own art, and the chapter illustrations are just crappy, like he's trying to be Kurt Vonnegut. Um, But then he doesn't have that many chapter illustrations. Uh, and then what I love is that there's a quote and I'm going to read off in my notes, the frustration I expressed that I never thought I was going to be reading out loud, but it's just, it shows how much this affected me that I say on the first chapter, there's a quote, something I would have thought was cool when I was in high school and trying to write for the first time, uh, live out loud. Oh, live it out like a God sure of a mortal life though you are in doubt. And if that doesn't make God proud of you, then God is nothing but gravitation or sleep. The golden goal. Edgar Lee Masters, Spoon River Anthology. And then I go, in all caps, two of them even, because there's another one (laughs) because I was flipping through. We walk in circles so limited by our own anxieties that we can no longer distinguish between true and false, between the gangster's whim and the purest ideal. (laughs) And then I write in all caps, three of them. One day I will find the right words and they will be simple by Jack Kerouac, Dharma Bums. So three quotes right away in the first chapter. <laughs> yeah, my my first real note was just way too much alliteration, <laughs> which was on page ten, and it did not stop throughout. It was that's that's his style apparently. Let's see how many words with the same letter starting with I can get in a, a single sentence. Yeah, and it's it's he's trying to. I, I get that. He, I it's so obvious he's like trying to be musical in how he's writing it. So it's like, I have a quote that there's a blotchy batch of colorless dermal masks. And it's like, okay, I get it. Just back up. But this doesn't make any sense. Blotchy batch of colorless dermal masks, uh, that last life spark extracted from their obliviation or oblivion, a reckoning of their uselessness in a world where branding is being. I read that three times. Like, uh, it's he's describing old people and then it just jumps straight to where branding is who uh. <laughs> yeah he's he's trying to make this into some sort of like absurdist postmodern mm-hmm. yeah plotless masterpiece or something it's just oh yeah uh i have in later chapters he, part of the absurdity is um when the woman's house uh, Helen Mayo, when her house gets uh, destroyed by a helicopter, um, what they do is uh, they have PETA come out to try and save the dog remains. Like, oh, it's so absurd. The commentary you're making right now, sir. Yeah, and <laughs> speaking of the neighbor Helen Mayo, the, the book, The Prelude, opens with transcripts of 911 calls that Helen Mayo is making about her neighbor, Bob Honey. And it's just, like I said, the first one is... is Four days after 9-11, because it is, it wouldn't be anything else. <laughs> and it's just like trying to set up this absurd scene, and it's just ridiculous. It's on, like, the name of the street is Sweet Dog Lane. Even, like, the street <laughs> names are, are stupid. <laughs> I have a, when the, when the helicopter falls through the house, there's the reporters and PETA shows up. Uh... And the reporter, this is a quote, uh, that it's the reporter speaking. So this is him trying to show the absurdity of the news cycle and, you know, how they put a slant on what they're trying to say, done to the point of just ridiculousness. Where he says, quote, 
Officials are not prepared with a determination that this has been an act of terrorism. The deceased pilot is burned beyond recognition. Sorry, folks. This is graphic stuff. Kids, go find your mommies. What authorities have verified is that the pilot's remains were found with a charred turban on his head. As for Helen Mayo, they did skia find remains. Get it, skia, get it. No, that's all. On a beautiful Sunni day. Did I say Sunni? I meant Sunny. In either case, Shia Beauty, your man in the field, Cheeky Chuck. I was yeah. in a, I was in a public place when I read that, and I just like put my phone down and just sighed. <laughs> like you're trying so hard to make a commentary. <laughs> you're so bad at it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just miserable. Hey, can we? Oh, go let's, ahead. Let's actually just read some of the chapter titles. Okay, go nuts. Well, aren't they all There's station? Something? Station title. Yeah. Uh, station five. Big cock. <laughs> Insect homicide. Two thousand sixteen. <laughs> um, Insect homicide. A ballad of a broken man. Yeah, that's pretty cheesy. Opiates and incest. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Uh, debunking Camus. Yeah, there is something nice in college for yeah. you. Yeah, like that's a college student. Yeah, it's like. so I, I'm not going to subject you to all of them again, but those are just, again, every element of this piece <laughs> just annoys me personally. Well, the one thing that was sticking with me was at first the writing is so horrible, but then I started to think, okay, so this Bob Honey is supposed to be a murderer. He likes to blow things up in his free time. There's a scene of him standing on a bridge, like chucking Molotov cocktails for fun down on the river or whatever. And uh, he builds these things on his free time and everything. And I think this might even be before you find out that he kills old people because they get in the way or whatever. Um, but he, I started to think, okay, so is this way of speaking basically his internal monologue like, so is he writing from the kind of mindset that would be thinking these thoughts? But then as it goes on, it's writing from the point of view of a third person narrator with the same kind of dialogue and wordiness. And then, uh, then after a while, it's just like, it kind of lost who was the narrator and who was like, it wasn't doing first person anymore and it wasn't jumping to third person. It just kind of started just talking in general, historically, yeah. And still using the same, like, thesaurus <laughs> riddled <laughs> dialogue and everything. So I think I went from, like, what a pretentious asshole to, oh, maybe he's trying really hard to write from the kind of mindset of this mentally disturbed person to, no, I think this is just how he thinks you're supposed to write a book yeah, in the end. I think so. Because then he meets the narrator, this pappy pariah, at the end of the book, says, hey, I'm telling your story, which is just mind-blowing me, like, meta, I just urinated right there on the spot. <laughs> I couldn't, my body physically couldn't take it. Well, and I, I mentioned that before uh, when we were eating or whatever, that I went into this. I genuinely tried to have an open mind about this. I, I knew it was supposed to be terrible. That's mm -hmm. the point. That's why we were reading it. But I, I couldn't. I, I made it like half a chapter before I was like, this is awful. <laughs> it's like I... It's that bad. I was trying to save him. I was like, oh, like the kind of person who obsesses over certain details. And he claims to be able to walk by a neighbor's house. And just by using his hearing and the noises made by the cats, he can figure out the layout of their house was another yeah. thing he claimed. So yeah. I'm like, okay, so this is the kind of person that would like 
over alliterate or whatever, just in his own internal monologue. So I was trying to give him a pass, like trying to help him be an okay writer, and I couldn't in the end. Yeah. Um, it sounds like you at least made it farther than I did in that regard, because I, I couldn't last that long trying to give oh, Mr. Penn the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I was, <laughs> yeah, I was done again before the end of the first chapter, I think. Oh, I know. I was giggling so hard because it was so bad, and I was writing so many notes that I couldn't get very far. Like, I read for an hour, and I got, like, a chapter and a half in. Because I was taking so many notes, but it reached a point where I'm like, I just have to plow through this. And so then I started trying to kind of like forge an open mind on why he's writing this way. But no, it, in the end, but in so. And you said thing, you, you had to plow through it, which I, that's the mindset I had too to finish it. And it's mm-hmm. not a long book. Usually when you plow through something, like mm-hmm. we have to force yourself to get through this, you know, it's <laughs> you know, war and peace or something, but this is 150 page. <laughs> no. but, but I still, it felt like. Such an ordeal just to finish it. it I know yeah. I had to. I had to reread horribly certain portions because I don't know what happened. His writing style is so convoluted that it actually gets in the way of understanding just the basic like domino style series of events of what's going on in the story. Like I couldn't tell by the time. Like I was telling you earlier, I got about seventy percent through the book. And the last portion, I just flat out don't know what happened. I and know he winds up in an old folks' home. You said that uh, the interviewer was coming to assassinate him. That's news to me. I couldn't catch that. I, I think that's what happened right. at You're the end. I thought right. he saw him like in the parking lot or something. But, but, but he pulls up in his car. And it's the same kind of car that he uses when he's going to go kill old people with a mallet. So suddenly yeah. the interviewer is doing it. And Yeah, so he's implied that he's part of the same program. Yeah, the, sort of the, part uh, of the same program, yeah. What was it? The... The Scottsdale, pro- what? Oh yeah, the Scottsdale program. Yeah, that's the name of the. It's, oh. You know, because a lot of old people retire to Scottsdale, I guess. Oh yeah, I know. So, that's the whole point. So yeah. if you're gonna kill old people, you, yeah, that's, that's what you name the Seabird program. But I, have a, I uh, oh, go ahead. I think he would. I think Sean Penn would be fine with the fact that you couldn't keep up with the story because I think he would say this, this isn't about plot. It's, you know, it's supposed to be, it's, it's about our times and it's yeah. about like, just like you said, he's trying to be like lyrical oh, or something. He'll in his say writing. that he's trying to break the, uh, the conventions of storytelling. Yeah, by exactly. Having a non-linear yeah. storytelling approach. Like I, yeah, I yeah. can see where the that The fact that go. you didn't know what the events it's, were of the novel. In the end, it's it, like, or it'll be a, a yeah. really, uh, self-serving way for him to be like, you're just not smart enough to understand what I wrote. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that's the point of this. Um, but he writes also, um, at the very end when he writes a letter to the president. So he winds up after we're jumping all over the place, but he winds up. Well, which is fitting for the nonlinear approach yeah. to podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> but he winds up, uh, after an assassination attempt on his life and a pygmy man's who's literally wearing a grass skirt. He runs yep. into the pygmy man at a bathroom. And I think it's at like an old folks' home where he's supposed to assassinate someone. And there's a pygmy guy there that he recognizes. It was a from hotel. Oh wait, what happened? It was a hotel in Miami, wasn't oh, it? Was it a hotel? Okay, I got. Uh, and what was going on there? I don't well, even remember. Don't there know. was some That's sort of thing. I don't freaking know. Was but there I some sort of terrorist attack and? I don't know. Miami, I don't know. There was some sort of explosion. I don't know if it's a terrorist attack or if he's equating something to being a terrorist attack. Like that's how bad the writing is. Where I can't tell if he's just yeah trying to. I don't know. So, anyways. He runs into this pygmy man that he, he knew from back when he was in Iraq, because when he was in Iraq installing septic tanks uh, for royalty, uh, which is more whimsical hilarity, that they would use pygmies who actually wore grass skirts as like security guards for certain areas instead of hiring Halliburton because the pygmies were more ferocious or something. I'm just like, this is... 
Um, but he writes that way in his letter to Donald Trump, which is yeah. the best part. Mm-hmm. So he says, a million women so dwarfed by your penis. It's supposed to be presidency, penis. <laughs> I can't uh, pronounce you it. You like that? Yeah. Isn't you that re- fun? You can read the word and see the joke, but you can't actually pronounce it. On the streets of Washington and around the world on the day of your piddly inauguration, unprecedented, and then in parentheses, spelling okay, question mark. Uh, so this is Sean Penn, like, trying to speak to the president, and that's the best he can do. And that's what the point of this book was, ultimately, right? The, this letter from Bob Honey to Mr. Landlord, as we call the president. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's all this is. You basically, I yeah. Just, I, just write an essay. Why why'd you have to subject me to a novel? I know. Um, do you want to... Do you want... You're divorced. Do you want to talk about Bob Honey's ex-wife? <laughs> uh, so... Um, he describes her, I wrote this one down as, uh, on the Kindle, 14 people actually highlighted this. So it wasn't me highlighting it. 14 people liked this line. The line, a woman so cynical, she doesn't understand the meaning of her favorite songs. And then I was like, is he using cynical right? And I looked it up and I don't think he is. <laughs> so then, uh, he's making her out to be a quote, dumb slut. Uh, and he writes her as a fraudulently feminist having superhero dreams um, hence, his life remains incessantly infused with her infidelity identity and her abhorrent ascensions to those constant salacious sessions of sexual solitaire. Yeah, there's that <laughs> alliteration we love. Seen as a self-regard. Uh, so, yeah, um, those are just a few things I pointed out where he's just super, super, super insulting, and he's not writing from the point of view. This is like the author writing is what I'm gathering. Yeah. Or he's playing the part of a third-party narrator who's super sexist and racist. But some of my other notes is the Durham black chick is used to describe a neighbor. Uh, Can we no, quickly yeah. get back to the ex-wife? Um, because since this is a uh, postmodern masterpiece, of <laughs> course, her occupation, now that she's divorced, Bob Honey, is ice cream truck driver. Yeah, she, is, she bought her own ice cream truck. Yeah, isn't that started. fun? Yeah. That's a fun detail. <laughs> that says a lot about these times that we live in, doesn't oh, no. it? Well, a woman, can't, uh, a woman can't get like a real job, but she can be an entrepreneur in the ice cream truck business. Yeah. Um, oh, he couldn't resist her shaved and shapely cinnamon sticks, this black chick, quote unquote. Uh, yeah, this is the, the black chick is from... Uh, Bob Honey's childhood, right? Is this the yeah, that's the neighbor from, yeah. girl? Yeah, he and then, oh, and then here's another part that's really obnoxious. He starts trying to like, and this becomes a theme throughout the rest of it. And there is, at the end of the book, they say who the musician is. He starts out mentioning things like "Bombs Over Baghdad" uh, by Outkast, as that he was humming it to himself. He was playing, so he's like trying to be kind of relevant to the times a little bit. And then, um, but as it goes on, he just starts quoting some song or a series of songs that you have to read through to get to the actual story. It's like yeah. every third paragraph is an entire song. Yeah. Yeah. Does it say in there in your book? The, yeah, the uh, name of the musician. Is that mm-hmm. what Yeah. Phil Oaks. Is Never that, heard of him. I, I hadn't either. Um, he, I looked him up. He seems like he's a pretty well-known folk singer oh, okay. from the 60s. Did you look him up at all? No, I didn't. We could probably play a uh, tiny snippet of it. <laughs> I, I'm sure it, uh, Sean Penn is, idolizes this guy probably because he was a, a folk protest singer in the 60s, and then he um, basically died of alcoholism in his oh. late 30s, I think. So, oh, well, there you go. 
you know, tortured soul. Tortured soul. Yeah. That's the classic kind of stuff that Sean Penn likes. I yeah. bet you he's probably just real, real disappointed that he's like 60-some years old now. Like, he didn't get out, go out on top like all the rest of them. Yeah. I, mean, I was wondering if Spurley was a figment of his imagination, but I guess not. Well, he could still be. I was trying to do the unreliable narrator thing. Yeah. Like, okay, so he is overly wordy with every single thought he has, and then maybe he's hallucinating that he has to kill old people, and maybe he's hallucinating all the stuff about the septic tanks and the Jehovah's Witnesses. And But no, in the end, it's just a quirky book. This is all supposed to have really happened. And so um, helicopter crashing was the dumbest thing I ever heard in my entire life. This crashed right into Helen Mayo's house. The fact that Helen Mayo's daughter has to handle it and she's Helen Mayo Jr. was, of course, just frustrating. Yep. <laughs> what was with Katrina? Why does he have to be involved in Katrina at all? And was he trying to kill an old person by going into the old folks' home in Katrina? Yeah, but he couldn't find anything to kill or something. Wasn't that the deal? He went yeah. in. But, I mean, he was in Katrina because that's a big thing that it's happened. It's another event that so, he wants to comment and on. And that was one of my notes. Um, is he... Is this like a Forrest Gump character? I that's, mean, he's yeah. just... It's, that's a, yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point. Yeah, that's because he keeps inserting this character into historical moments to do something dumb like kill old people because whatever. It's just very, very like weirdly tacked on. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, another one is in the interlude chapter. There's the Hel- Helen Mayo Jr., the daughter, is calling because she's in a scissor lift and she's watching Bob, and so she's calling the police... And she accuses him of having Chinese eyes. Uh, the word chink is used a ton. Um, she says that he's sending a signal with his Chinese eyes, that he's up to something. Uh, and then she says he's not out there chopping or cutting up bonsai trees. And then the cop corrects her to say that Chinese people don't do bonsai trees. That's Japanese. The whole thing. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's not only just like racist and annoying, but then also like weirdly particular and not cute. I don't know. It was just driving me nuts. So here's an example of uh, some of more of his racist kind of writing. Um, it's supposed to be uh, this like Hasidic Jewish person while he's in South America somewhere. And this person gets on his boat because he's trying to escape. He's been wrongfully arrested. Uh, yeah, do I, I, I do know. I had completely forgotten that until he mentioned it. Um, yeah. I forgot his name. Uh, maybe I'll run into it here. But anyways, he, so the man says to him, Who'd you? Which is DJU, demanded the man. Your vid Bolivian intelligence, Jew vid cartel, judiciary. So this is a Jewish person talking. An American Jew. Apparently. Right? I tunneled out of the prison. <laughs> this is so painful to read. Ran into the jungle. Ran through the trees to the road. Then got a bush... To the border, then the be it's killing my skin is crawling. <laughs> yeah. So this is him uh, writing how an ethnic person would speak. I don't know. It's and again, he's probably got a million reasons why he wrote it that way. But really, I think it's just like when you have somebody you know who's in their fifties and really racist, and this is how they would do an impression of someone that's not white or Christian yeah. or whatever. Just horrible. <laughs> Hadn't even got his first hot dog. Oh, that's right, the dildo and the hot dogs. <laughs> Wait, what? I don't Do, refresh so my memory. Remember when like I did make a note hot dogs, but I don't remember what that means. Oh, his uh ex-wife apparently like told him about how she tossed a dildo out on the street. 
So then he got a pack of hot dogs, went and found the dildo, went out to the desert, put a candle on the oh. tip of the dildo and lit it. Yeah. And then tried to cook a hot dog over the flame. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Thanks for reminding me. But Which, Well, now that you talk about it, though, did you read the poem at the end, the epilogue? I did. And you know what? To be completely honest, it's like five pages long, and I stopped after the third page. I, I you know, skimmed it, but it's... It's, it's just ridiculous. It talks about and it talks about the Me Too movement. Louis C.K. Yep, it's like Louis Char- C.K. Charlie Rose for some reason makes an appearance. Uh, it's because Charlie Rose was accused of um, sexually harassing people too. Oh, I guess that one for me but, got lost in the shuffle. There was a lot of that going around, but oh, yeah, okay. but none of this. Uh, he's not calling them out like in an ironic way. Like, aren't they creeps? It's like you certainly can read up to the, like the Louis C.K. part. You could let us know. Go on. We're not no, reading the I'm, whole poem, so we're not going to get in trouble. Um, I did <laughs> want to mention one quote. This is kind of in the middle of the book, and I think this is maybe getting at what Sean Penn thinks the point of this was. Mm-hmm. Um, so the quote, This, the new American dream, where arrogance is charisma, character is complaint, and gray, a color of, in, a color of tolerance no longer tolerated. <laughs> I mean, is that is that the point here? Is that what... I don't know. Uh, it does fit perfectly. In its... Uh, ridiculousness. I'm trying to get to the end. Now I'm just kind of wasting... Yeah, time. that's how I felt the whole time I was reading it. Just trying to get to the end. <laughs> he gets a letter from, like, Anne or whatever. And I don't know if it's his ex-wife he keeps getting back with or if it's this different woman. No, that's the lover he's taken on, isn't oh, it? Oh, okay, so that's yeah. the lover. See, it's, yeah. I get mixed up in it. Uh, it says, yours, Anne, my love and vagina on your team. Epilogue. Oh, here we go. Where did all the laughs go? Are you out there, Louis C.K.? Once crucial conversations kept us on our toes. Was it really in our interest to trample Charlie Rose? And what's with this, quote, me too, this infantilizing term of the day? Is it toddler's crusade, reducing rape, slut-shaming, and suffrage to reckless child's play? (laughs) So he's like, where's Louis C.K.? He used to be able to say the the stuff that we all thought, man, but he used to make people watch him jerk off. (laughs) He's just kind of glossing over that part. Oh, okay. So the line is in, I forget which chapter because I'm reading on the Kindle. These he considers only as ugly, ungenerous souls, which then has the number 20 next to it because it's a footnote. Can you get with that footnote or can you guess what it's going to be? What's going to be said when you click on the footnote or scroll down to read it just for this one line? Will you read that line back to me and, and let me These he considers only as ugly, ungenerous souls. Well, it's going to be racist, isn't it? <laughs> no? Wait. Uh, so I clicked the number 20 since I'm on the Kindle and yeah. it took me down to the footnotes and all it says is cunts. <laughs> So edgy. <laughs> I started laughing out loud when I read that. I was like, I don't even know what he's trying to say. And that line, ugh, everything about it was driving me up a wall. Ben, are you able to sum up in more than one word what this book means to you? Well, again, I touched on that before. It does, it did 
personally connect with me in the, so much as <laughs> it personally offended me in every element of it from just the time frame opening four days after 9-11, the, the chapters <laughs> being called stations, the chapter titles just being ridiculous, mm-hmm. the character names being ridiculous, the street names being ridiculous, <laughs> the alliteration throughout just how annoying it was to read yeah, the and sentences and just, uh, it's just terrible. Uh, it just makes me complacent in the end and exhausted. And I literally, like defeated. I said, totally defeated. I felt defeated by this. <laughs> yeah. I, so I have no idea what happened in the end because I was just exhausted. It was yeah. just a wash of words towards the end and I have no idea what was happening. Yeah. And I, I don't care. I, I think you shouldn't waste any more energy thinking about this. Well, it was, oh my God. Funny that you would uh, talk about wasting any more energy because <laughs> he has a sequel that's coming out on September 10th called Bob Honey Sings Jimmy Crack Corn. <laughs> and, me, and this is a book or is this an audio? This is a book, my friend. It's hardcover for $26. Uh, let yeah, me, you know, let I me had a hard enough time spending $12 on the paperback. I'm not spending oh, $26 on the hardcover. I'll wait. We might. <laughs> Just because we've already traveled halfway through the journey. Well, here. I think we kind of have to. Yeah, I'm starting to think we do. Even though does it give a, any any there was indication? Book you? Well, it doesn't say how many pages. Or okay, anything, that's but, what I was um, asking. But the looking at here's here's the the what they say about Bob Honey sings Jimmy Crack Corn. The, <laughs> this is the madcap follow up to his debut novel, which was hailed by authors as diverse as Solomon Rushdie, Jane Smiley, and Peter Thoreau. Paul Thoreau, sorry, explores the deepest recesses of American politics and culture. Bob Honey, the disillusioned divorcee <laughs> with a penchant for murder by Mallet, weaves his way towards Washington, D.C. for the ultimate showdown with a certain nefarious, quote, landlord. But nothing is as it seems, and Bob will have more than just the government working against him. Part comedy and part thriller, Bob Honey sings Jimmy Crackhorn, establishes Sean Penn, as a fixture of the literary landscape for years to come. So whether we like it or not, he's part of the literary landscape for years to come. Can't wait. You're going to have, when we're in our 60s, we're going to have like new authors coming out referencing this as, a, as an influence on their work. Yeah, there's going to be senior-level college courses <laughs> devoted to... But anyway, we won't be doing that next anyway, because we've got... Uh, Book two. Book two of the His Dark Materials trilogy. I don't even remember what it's called. Do you? It's something is it the Is it the Amber Spyglass or is that the third one? Um, the, the Subtle, subtle knife. knife. That's right. <laughs> Super cheesy. Okay. So, and this one, uh, the second book is, takes place in what? Our dimension? Because uh, we made jokes about this that, That's my understanding, yeah. Okay. Um, and I have to say, after the Sean Penn book, I am very much looking forward to getting back to <laughs> the historic <laughs> materials, Josie. It's been too long, and I can't wait to read a chunk of that and discuss that with you. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about doing the second Bob Honey, but first of all, it's 26 bucks for this dumb hardcover book that's coming out in September. So I think we should do the Morrissey one first. Maybe the Morrissey one and hope that maybe eventually the Bob Honey one will come on Kindle because it's super cheap. You could read it on your phone if you wanted to. I don't, I feel like that would be worse than downloading a virus onto my phone. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> Wait. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Jake Phillips. Arresting reading style. Well, Ben, the only review we've got is Jake Phillips 
saying that we have an arresting radio. Uh, I I have an arresting reading style. Five stars. Glenn's reading style is fantastic. He does an amazing job of bringing literature to life. Yet Book Boys is more popular. <laughs> Did any of those Book Boy listeners stop to give us a review? Mm-hmm. No, but uh, it would really help us out if you did, listeners. Oh, is this, this is where you're doing your job now and you're actually going to try to promote yeah. us? On uh, whatever platform you uh, listen to us on, if you could leave a review. You, you realize with the that front you're, too. you're asking a series of 14 and 13-year-olds to try to get on iTunes that they got to download to their desktop to leave us a review. That's not going to happen, Ben, because you picked young adult fiction as the venue for Book Boys, and that's where you get most of your ratings from. you going to stare at me like that? No. <laughs> you try to get those tweens to engage with our show. I don't know how to speak to today's youth. I don't either. <laughs> so, there was that. You got to hear the both of us complain about a book we don't like and get real, real worked up. And then just descend into nothing. We just start talking about tweens. So... Uh, tune in for the next episode where we read the second installment of Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials trilogy called uh, The Subtle Knife. That'll be exciting. Thanks for listening. <laughs>